0: Hey, Heat of the Moment listeners. We've got another great podcast to share with you. It's called Living Planet, and it's a show from Germany's international broadcaster DW, hosted by Sam Baker and Charlie Shield. On this episode of Living Planet, which was first broadcast in December, their team looks into biofuels. They ask what role these crop-based fuels should play in our global energy system, especially when renewables like wind and solar have become much more affordable in recent years. From Germany to the US to Kenya, we learn about the biofuel industry and its promises and drawbacks. And we hear how it's become a significant part of the energy mix with the help of subsidies and regulations. We hope you'll like it. DW Living Planet with Sam Baker.
1: Welcome to Living Planet. Good to have you with us. As Russia's ongoing war in Ukraine pushes fossil fuel-based energy prices sky high this winter, it seems that any other source of energy might be a welcome reprieve. But then again, does it make sense to be producing fuels by diverting crops away from becoming food? especially when households around the world are feeling the added financial burden of inflated food prices and even food shortages due to climate change-induced droughts. This is the conundrum that biofuels pose. Today, our reporter Shola Lawal takes us on a journey around the world to explore biofuels, how they came about, their promises and drawbacks, and why it is we're still using them. I'll hand it over to her now.
2: What you're hearing
3: is the voice of activists at a demonstration near Berlin. They've put up a huge white sign. It reads, no food in the tanks. Welcome to Germany, where the country's 48 million car owners are often very likely driving around with some food in their tank. Well, food that has been processed into a special kind of fuel. They're called biofuels liquid fuels extracted from food crops like corn or wheat, or even the rapeseed plants that you see growing all around this country. That production often happens in processing factories, almost like the way a crude oil refinery would operate. I visited a tiny one used for research at the University of Bonn here in Germany. Around me, I saw crops like barley in different stages of oil production being tested on loud machines. Biofuels were engineered in an effort to save the planet. But now, some researchers and environmental groups are saying that biofuels are in fact harming the environment. Using fuel from food might sound strange to you, but the idea actually came about long ago. In fact, German engineer Rudolf Diesel, yes, the inventor of the diesel engine, used vegetable oil as fuel in some of his original prototypes. But the majority of the transportation industry focused on mining crude oil for petrol and diesel because they are much cheaper. And that's a discount that we're paying for now as the climate hits up and weather patterns change thanks to these polluting fuels it wasn't until we became aware of how fossil fuels are damaging our planet with greenhouse gases that the idea of biofuels resurfaced again. Around 18 years ago, researchers believed that the fuels could be an answer to replacing polluting fossil fuels, that by mixing the ethanol from maize or wheat with normal gasoline or diesel, we could dilute fossil fuels and then cut down the amount of gases that these dirty fuels release. So now, biofuels are in almost every car in the U.S. and in Europe. In fact, there are laws forcing all companies to use them to meet zero carbon climate targets. So far, so good, right? Well, scientists are not all convinced that using them has had any major impact on our emissions so far. So the question is, how much sense is there in continuing to plant crops for our cars? Let's start at the source. The US is the biggest corn producer in the world by any mark, but only 10% of that corn is actually consumed as human food. So where does the rest go? To find out, I reached out to reporter Christian Elliott, who's based in Illinois.
4: The United States is the world's largest corn grower. It's also the world's largest biofuel producer. A third of the country's corn crop goes to ethanol production, a corn-based biofuel, some 30 million acres. King corn reigns. But recent studies show ethanol may actually emit more greenhouse gases than fossil fuels. Given an electrifying world and the ongoing global energy and food crises from the war in Ukraine, why is America still so hell-bent on using farmland to grow fuel? To understand, I drove through a couple hundred miles of cornfields to meet a farmer in Knox County, Illinois. At a stop sign, looks like we're about to transition to gravel. little bit of a washboard. It's fall, harvest time. There's dust in the cool air, as neighboring farmers run million dollar combine harvesters in their cornfields.
0: You have arrived. And we're here. The farm itself has been in my family for over 105 years. It originally belonged to my great-grandfather, so now we have a total of just over 222 acres. And we grow corn and soybeans.
4: That's John Filtham, former marine and lawyer turned farmer. We walk through his pasture while his wife Nancy feeds the horses. Once the horses finish inspecting my microphone, John leads me to his cornfield, the endless golden stalks towering over us. He snaps off an ear and pulls down the husk.
0: It's a pretty good looking ear. Filled almost completely. This should be a pretty good year for corn.
4: The stuff that got the artificial fertilizer treatment looks good, sure, but John isn't going to take a bite. Although it can be turned into high-fructose corn syrup and some other food products like breakfast cereal, this corn, and almost all the corn grown in this state, isn't for eating.
0: A lot of it goes to ethanol production. Some of our neighbors sell 100% of their corn crop to the ethanol plant, and um, it can actually be used in the manufacture of certain types of plastics.
4: So how did we get here? inedible crops maintained by chemicals stretching in all directions. I called up Sylvia Secchi, an agricultural economist at the University of Iowa, in the next state over, which sends almost 60% of its corn to ethanol plants. She says in the 1950s, the government started paying farmers directly to grow vast fields of feed corn to support the growing livestock industry. They also paid for research to increase crop yields, and it worked a little too well. One of the things
2: that farmers were concerned about and the industry was concerned about is, what are we gonna do with all this corn and soybeans? And one of the things that we did do is start producing ethanol and biodiesel.
4: It was the 1970s, there was an energy crisis, and the government suddenly had a homegrown solution, turning excess feed corn into fuel. The Environmental Protection Agency agreed because it meant burning fewer fossil fuels. But King Corn won its crown in 2005, when the Bush administration passed the first renewable fuel standard, providing subsidies to ethanol producers and for ethanol research. That law mandated increases in biofuel production every year, but corn ethanol was never the end goal.
2: It's important to understand that corn actually uses a lot of fossil fuels to be produced. Typically, it uses a lot of artificial fertilizer, and so it is a very energy-intensive crop.
4: The idea was for the inefficient corn to be a transition fuel, while more advanced, second-generation biofuels were developed that could use perennial crops like grasses and waste from the timber industry. But those advanced cellulosic biofuels never materialized, because fracking in the U.S. kept oil prices too low for expensive new fuels to compete.
2: And this year, we were supposed to produce 15 billion gallons of corn ethanol and 16 billion gallons of cellulosic biofuel. Unfortunately, we're producing less than 1 billion gallons of cellulosic biofuel.
4: Meanwhile, those government subsidies for corn and ethanol production have caused an explosion in land dedicated to corn and the environmental damage that comes along with it.
2: In the United States, because we have this increased demand for corn ethanol, we plowed grasslands, we filled wetlands. And so that caused greenhouse gas emissions, But right? Every time you plow or cut down trees, boom, you have this explosion of greenhouse gases.
4: So, the million-dollar question.
2: Why are we still doing this if it's not that good?
4: A lot of people are very invested in this system from the companies that produce and sell patented seeds, farm machinery, fertilizers, and pesticides, and of course, the all-powerful ethanol industry. Drive through Iowa or Illinois in the Midwestern United States and you can go for hundreds of miles through nothing but corn and soybean fields. Politicians dare not oppose an industrial system so central to the identity of the region. But there's a new wrinkle in that system, The Renewable Fuel Standard is up for renegotiation this year, for the first time since 2007. Since producers aren't meeting their advanced biofuels targets, the Environmental Protection Agency could end the mandate. Which brings me back to
0: John. Our most productive fields are down in the river bottom, unfortunately, where the pipeline wants to run its right-of-way.
4: Companies are racing to build pipelines across the Midwest to capture carbon dioxide from ethanol plants and move it to places with favorable geology to sequester it deep underground. One of those pipelines will cross John's farm. By using carbon sequestration to lower ethanol plant emissions, the companies want their product to qualify as an advanced biofuel. The Biden administration's recent climate bill, called the Inflation Reduction Act, Put a lot of money on the table in the form of subsidies for companies who build carbon sequestration facilities. So these ethanol companies see a new way to profit and keep running at the same
0: time. I have no objection to the ethanol industry. And as far as, you know, people talk about fossil fuels, the present state of technology, you couldn't do modern farming in the Midwest without them. And so, I mean, I... My objection to the pipeline is based on the damage that it will do to farm ground. Uh, it has nothing to do with opposition to fossil fuels.
4: Farmers are coming to realize that their land, not the crops that grow on it, is their most valuable asset. Some would be happy to plant something other than ethanol corn, or even see their fields occupied by solar panels or wind turbines, if the price was right. They just don't want a pipeline bringing down their property value. But for now, ethanol, and probably these new pipelines that further enable it, is here to stay.
2: The United States has a history of being isolationist and kind of like not considering these global implications. That's not the way to solve the food crisis and the energy crisis. And it's uh, one of the reasons why I've always found it very hypocritical on the part of the American agricultural sector to say that they feed the world. If they don't feed the world, what they do is they add a little bit of liquid fuel to their cars.
4: From the heart of U.S. corn country, I'm Christian Elliott, reporting for DW.
3: There's some research that suggests that when rich countries like the U.S. choose to grow food crops and then use only a tiny fraction of it for human food, that that has an impact elsewhere. So when we're using corn for biofuels instead of food, which countries suffer? The war in Ukraine has triggered such massive disruptions to global food supply chains that food prices are soaring right now. In regions like East Africa, this is made worse by other factors like climate change. Areas affected by drought almost have no food available at all. In Kenya, food is so scarce in some places that families are rationing supplies. I reached out to Kenyan journalist Andrew Wasike, who's based in Nairobi, to give us a sense of what it's like on the ground there.
5: I am in the heart of the Kenyan capital Nairobi, An urbanized powerhouse that is the envy of many other countries in East Africa. But despite this, people here in the capital are going to sleep hungry. And many have no food to eat at all. In the past year alone, the price of food and fuel has skyrocketed. The cause? A toxic cocktail of conflict, extreme weather shocks and struggling food systems. Common foodstuffs such as cooking oil, dairy products, carrots, onions, potatoes, beans and the maize flour used to make Kenya's number one staple maize porridge called ugali have become more expensive than ever and unaffordable for many Kenyans maize flour that cost one dollar now goes for over two dollars per two kilograms here in the mudhuru market in the kenyan capital nairobi fresh fruit and vegetable vendors tell me the price of onions and tomatoes has doubled since the year started so no one wants to buy them anymore tomato vendor rose mwangi is struggling to keep her business alive
1: The prices have really gone up. A crate of tomatoes is now going for 5,000 Kenyan shillings. A few years ago, that price was 1,500 per crate.
5: Diana Hayela, a mother of three, who is a regular at the Mudhuru market, tells me that due to the shortage of wheat, her family cannot afford the wheat flatbread chapati, another staple food in most Kenyan households.
3: We can't afford cooking oil, and due to a shortage of wheat, we can't afford to eat ciabatti, which we would love to eat together with our children.
5: Among the causes of this food price hike is extreme weather. Although Kenya, like other countries in the Horn of Africa, is a hot, dry country prone to drought, rising global temperatures are exacerbating the problem. The country is paying a heavy price for climate change caused by burning fossil fuels. Kenya, Ethiopia and Somalia are currently in the grip of extreme drought. Thousands of livestock and wildlife have died and thousands of people have lost their livelihoods. This comes after a desert locust invasion gutted the country's agricultural sector in 2021, destroying key crops. Kenya used to grow most of its wheat locally, but for about three years now, mostly due to drought, it has been forced to import the crop from abroad, from countries like Ukraine, where war has now pushed up the price of wheat and other vital commodities like fuel. To make matters worse, experts say that using staple crops such as corn and wheat to produce low-carbon biofuels in Western countries is diverting food that's desperately needed in countries such as Kenya to cars in places like Europe and the U.S. Tim Sachinger is a researcher from the International Livestock Research Institute based in Kenya. He says that there is a hidden cost in turning food into fuel. The amount of biofuels that
4: can be produced without reducing food consumption or increasing greenhouse emissions has been greatly overestimated. The problem, of course, is that if you're using land to make plants for biofuels, you're not using that land to make plants for other purposes. If that land would otherwise be producing trees, if that land's producing food, people
5: eat it or livestock eat the food. Even here in Kenya where people are struggling to put food on the table, farmers are turning their crops over to biofuel producers in a new trend. Some of these farmers have permanently switched existing quantities of crops such as maize, corn, sugarcane and canola from food to biofuel markets. Others have switched land, labor, and water that would normally go to crop production for human or livestock consumption to the production of biofuels. In Samburu County, four hours from the capital Nairobi, food aid is what has saved many nomadic farmers from starvation. Limon Poroi Siran's family has lost over 15 camels and 30 goats. They now have around 10 livestock. All of them, are emaciated. Occasionally they receive food aid and supplies from organizations such as USAID, the UN and World Vision among others. But the aid is fast becoming as scarce as the water and pasture they search for.
0: What you We mainly feed on wild fruits as most of our livestock have died. The trees feed us and our children. James Jasso
5: works for World Vision, an NGO that delivers food to nomadic farmers struggling to feed themselves during the drought. Children die as a result of malnutrition. The effects of drought, uh, three years down the line, no rain. So this one is life saving. Without this, more children will die. back at the market in nairobi here kenyans are adapting to the crisis in any way they can such as avoiding their favorite staples and opting for other foodstuffs but that's not an option for the most vulnerable such as nomadic farmers who rely on food aid food that might right now be powering a vehicle somewhere in the world instead of feeding someone who needs it for dw from nairobi kenya i am andrew wasike
3: So, while all that is happening in Kenya and other vulnerable countries, people are still pouring biofuels into their cars across the European Union. Here in Germany, biofuels are not only flowing into cars, the country is also making loads of the stuff. It's one of the world's top producers. Here, Every gas station, like the one I'm at right now, has a special green-colored pump for these plant-based fuels. When people select the green pumps, so those ones that say E10 on them, they're choosing gasoline that has been mixed with 10% of ethanol. Biofuels in the U.S. are mostly made from corn, but as for Germany, rapeseed and wheat are the preferred crops. Most car owners know about the E10 blend, and sometimes choose it. But do they really know what it's made up of? I asked a few people.
0: But I don't
4: know where they exactly get it, somewhere from the seas.
3: I'm not using this, honestly. And then there's Cherry, who uses it regularly. I think it's clean.
5: I'm also very uh, conscious about if we have clean air, so the people will be healthier. I think so.
3: Cherry is a care worker and drives a small black Fiat. She didn't know the fuel she prefers is made from corn or wheat until I told her. But when I asked her if she'd rather use these crops in her car when there's a global food crisis, here's what she had to say.
5: Oh, that's a very, very hard
3: question. It is a hard question. There's been an intense debate about biofuels in Germany for years now. That discussion first started when biofuels were being marketed here some 15 to 18 years ago. Although a few environmental groups and politicians said biofuels didn't make sense at the time, broadly, it was seen as a good idea. And over time, the debate around it mostly died down. But since the war in Ukraine began, the biofuels debate has come up again. The world is facing an energy crisis triggered by the conflict, And biofuels could help Germany be less dependent on other countries for energy. But on the other hand, there's the issue of a food and climate change crisis that's making people hungry in places like Kenya. That's why environmental activists are demonstrating across Germany. The voices you hear are Greenpeace members. They're telling people about biofuels in Eberswald, a town just outside Berlin. The activists are also giving out slices of bread wrapped in brown paper. The bread is made from wheat, a special kind grown for animals and biofuels in Germany. It has lower protein levels than the wheat we would normally eat.
4: Um, Yeah, it tastes good. (laughs) It tastes like normal bread. Yeah,
3: it doesn't taste different.
0: We got some... A weed that's supposed to be for feeding animals or producing biofuels, and we took it to a bakery, and he baked bread from that, and it turned out it was very, very delicious. You know, the, the baker has to deal with it a bit differently, um, but but it is possible. It is not, you know, a thing you should waste by making biofuel out of it.
3: That's Matthias Lambrecht, a Greenpeace member and the leader of these protests. In Germany, around 14% of farmland goes to biofuel production. But Matthias says farming for biofuels is just unacceptable when global food supplies are being affected right now.
0: This is also one example where we are externalising the costs of our lifestyle to future generations or other countries in the world.
3: There's another massive
0: problem too. If you look at the... Um, climate emissions that come with destroying natural resources, natural areas that could be um, valuable as carbon sinks. So if you keep that in mind, it's bad for the climate.
3: Some scientists do agree that biofuels could be worse than fossil fuels because of all the land used to produce them. But not all researchers agree on that. What environmental activists are saying is pretty serious. If there's really no significant impact from using biofuels, why exactly would Germany and the European Union force oil producers to use them? Well, I asked Stefan Walter. He's head of the Association of the German Bioethanol Industry. It's a lobby group that's fighting very hard for Germany to keep producing biofuels. And he doesn't agree with the activists.
2: There is no connection. We, we don't burn uh, food in the, in the tanks, as, uh, as the NGOs or, uh, sometimes say. We use qualities which are not, you can't use uh, for the humans. I think you have this, the hunger problem is very serious, uh, but we are not the driver of the hunger problem.
3: Stefan says blending biofuels with gasoline cuts emissions. But how much really depends on the crop? For example, corn saves less emissions than sugarcane. Germany saves 9.5 million tonnes of CO2 every year, thanks to biofuels. That's roughly 1.5% of the country's annual emissions. And some argue biofuels are helping to prop up a fossil fuel industry that got us into this whole climate crisis in the first place. But Stefan says the fuel is important, based on current realities.
2: You should... Have a look at the fleet size in Europe of the cars we have, or the vans or buses or commercial vehicles. It's about 400 million vehicles we have in Europe at the moment. And 95% of these vehicles are run by combustion engines. So we need some renewable fuels in this sector.
3: Right now, the European Union and Germany are reducing more and more the amounts of biofuels oil producers should use. Because the fuels have been linked to too much controversy in recent years. Biofuels sourced from palm oil in Indonesia, for example, has led to massive deforestation. So in 2021, Germany banned palm oil biofuels and the European Union has voted to do the same from 2023. From the look of things, biofuel crops will face more and more of these restrictions in Europe. Biofuels aren't entirely a lost cause, though. There may just be a way to transition all those combustion vehicles we have now onto more sustainable fuel before they reach the end of their lives. Enter advanced biofuels. Yeah, they sound super technical, but they're just another form of biofuels produced entirely from food waste or crop residue. Basically, all the stuff that we don't eat. Think straw or the husks that remain from sugarcane after it has been pressed. Or even vegetable oil that McDonald's use today. You'll also sometimes hear scientists call advanced biofuels second-generation biofuels. If we used them, there'd be fewer debates about wasted food or wasted land. There's a lot of optimism around these advanced biofuels. Germany is hoping to use more of them by 2030. But those expectations may be too high. Dr. Franziska Muller-Langer, who heads biofuels research at the German Biomass Research Centre, tells me that these fuels are necessary, but that they are just not as available as we need them to be because they're expensive to produce they are usually
2: more complex than known from the conventional biofuels. So you need a higher technical demand. You need usually more process energy. And and in line with this higher complexity, usually these advanced biofuels are also more cost intensive.
3: Scientists like Dr. Moolalanga say we need biofuels, but that we also need to find ways to use less fuels in general? The answer really appears to be in two things. Transitioning to vehicles that don't require fuel, but rather run on electricity stored in batteries. Or driving down demand for fossil fuels in the first place. Something we have not managed to do so far. For DW, I'm Shalalawal in Bonn, Germany.
1: Thanks to Shola Lawal, Christian Elliott, and Andrew Wasike for reporting on that story. If you have thoughts or questions about biofuels, get in touch with us at livingplanet.dw.com. Thanks to Vibka Techtmaier and Thomas Schmidt for their help in the studio this week. I'm Sam Baker. We'll be back next week with more environment stories from around the globe.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode of Living Planet. For more like it, you can find Living Planet wherever you get your podcasts or at dw.com.